Good morning, listeners of the Life Church Canton podcast. Today is Tuesday, May 12th, 2020. I hope that you're doing well. Thank you for listening. If this is your first time listening, my name is Sam. I'm the tech guy at Life Church Canton, and I'm also the host for this show. And I'm thankful that you're here. Um, this episode is a special bonus podcast, um, not part of our normal programming. Let me give you some context as to what you're going to hear. So, if you don't know, Life Church Canton is part of a greater network of churches. There's also a Life Church Southfield, Life Church Livonia, Life Church Auburn Hills, and soon to be a Life Church Riverside. So, this particular podcast was a Facebook Live originally on Life Church Southfield's page. So, you're going to hear a voice kind of moderating this conversation, and that voice is Pastor Alan Tumpkin, who's the lead pastor of Life Church Southfield. Um, and this is actually their, um, their, their kind of version of what we do with Table Talk Thursday, and they call it Lunch Break with Alan Tumpkin, um, where he goes on in midweek and, and answers questions and gives encouragement, similar to how we do with Table Talk Thursday. Um, but you're going to hear some other voices in this conversation. You'll hear uh, Brian Naniga, who's the lead pastor of Life Church Livonia. You'll hear Georgia Hill who is the, the planning pastor with Life Church Riverside, which is in the process of planning. You're going to hear Don Earl Johnson, who's the lead pastor of Life Church Auburn Hills. You'll hear Nathan McWhorter, which if you've been listening for a while, you know he's the lead pastor of Life Church Canton. You'll hear Daniel Fabui, who's uh, one of our pastors here at, at Life Church Canton as well. And they wanted to get together to talk about a specific topic together. And that specific topic is injustice. Um, and how we as the church respond to injustice, both as an organization and as individuals. Um, And the reason being for this conversation is that um, the response of the church to the the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. Um, And if you watched or listened to Table Talk Thursday last week, you heard um, the Life Church Canton guys talk about um, the Ahmaud Arbery murder in more detail, Um, but this is a group of pastors coming together, and I think this is so important um, that our perspective as a church and as a body of believers is, uh, needs to be widened to not just be uh, narrow to our our, our one context, right, and um, the experience and, and knowledge that um, pastors, you know, outside of uh, outside of Life Church can't have on this on the subject is just um, so beneficial for us to have and to be able to have these conversations as the church is such uh, an important thing, right? We need to press in like in times like this and not push away from the table. So um, I hope that I've given enough context for what you're about to hear. Um, so here is uh, a discussion about injustice from uh, the Life Church pastors. Enjoy. We are live. All right, everyone. Thank you for being a part of life, uh, uh, our Life Church back gathering of pastors. I'm actually not seeing anything, so I'm going. There you go. It's up. All righty. You're there. See you. That's Look at right. that. Looking All good. Right. <laughs> Welcome to Lunch Break with Alan Tumpkin. I am so glad that you are checking us out on your phones, on your laptops, or wherever you are. Uh, and I hope you had a wonderful Mother's Day weekend. I sure, we sure did, and uh, did a lot of uh, walking. I think I had a cauliflower pizza. I mean, hey, whatever, it worked. Uh, 
<laughs> anyway, no, that's not what I had. But uh, again, welcome to lunch break. We have a real special uh, show today with special people. We're joined by the pastors of our Life Church Network, and that would be uh, Life Church Canton, the pastors Nathan McWhorter, when I call your name, just raise, wave, yeah, and uh, Life Church Livonia, Brian Nanninga, uh, and Raises he's drinking count. and eating a sandwich while we're on the show because it's called Lunch Break. I got that. Uh, we have Daniel Fagboy, who is is I, that pronounced it perfect? Uh, it's close enough, brother. I won't hold you. You say it. Uh, it's for buoy. <laughs> hey, man, I'm just not good at stuff. Listen, like. it's close. <laughs> I, I've heard worse. All right. Well, I, well, it's good to see. Good to see you, Daniel, who is the uh, a pastor. Now, give your title because uh, I know that you do diversity there, but you have a a, a, a title that's that, that's broader than that. So. What's your title there at Life Church Canton? Yeah, I think the official title is Pastor of Handsomeness. <laughs> That's what I have, actually. Humbly, humbly so. Um, um, so, no, um, teaching pastor of adult ministries. Okay, real good. All right, we also have Don Earl Johnson, uh, the handsome uh, Navy, is it? Or Marine? Navy. Navy, I'm sorry, who uh, has the psycho psychedelic background back there. It's really cool. It makes me... <laughs> Remember, it makes me remember coffee and uh, Foxy Brown and all that kind of stuff. So nice. But it, hey, it looks very good. <laughs> I, I love you, Alice. I know. I know you do. I'm going to wow. overcome, overcome evil with good. That's right. That's a good thing. <laughs> we have uh, finally, but not uh, should be number one, is uh, Georgia Hill. Dr. Georgia Hill, who is the pastor of Life Church. Riverside, Where? and it's good to see you. You did a wonderful job with our uh, Wonder uh, Mother's Day service, so thank you for that. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for asking me. That was exciting. My first time preaching on Mother's Day. Yay! That's awesome. 19, 18, 19 years, 20 years of, of ministry. This is your first time. Well, you did. I started when I was five. Wow. <laughs> that's that's, that's great. So 20 right. years, 20 years of ministry. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's right. So again, thank you. What we're going to be talking today, and uh, first of all, you see that there's camaraderie with us, and I'm so glad that we're together. Um, uh, we don't get together enough, and uh, it took the pandemic to drive us together, which is really great, and we're going to do even more in the future. But we're, we, we're here today, we're on to talk about really responding to injustice, because uh, as a church, what are we doing as, our, as a network to respond to the injustice in our world. We're going to look uh, specifically and talk about the Ahmad Aubrey case and, and his, his death, his murder. And uh, we're just going to not rehash all the details, but uh, talk about how we can make sure that the Church of Jesus Christ or lunch, a life church, as well as the church universal, how we could encourage one another to respond properly to injustice. Uh, a couple um, questions I want to ask and you can jump in, but I would invite all of you uh, because uh, since we represent the uh, Life Church Network, it was you know important for us to, to, for me to hear and for our people to hear our thoughts on what happened mm -hmm. on February 23rd, that is the death of Ahmad Aubrey. Uh, Nathan, what were your just your, your just your visceral thoughts? What did you feel? What is your thinking when you saw 
the video and when you started seeing the unfolding of the case. Nathan McWhorter from Life Church Camp. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I think I personally, I just immediately was just the the visual of watching it happen uh, kind of shook me mm-hmm. to, to the core a little bit. And um, just just the, the middle of the street, the middle of the day, um, I think my, my dread is the word, um, even though I knew what was going to happen, it's almost like I was hoping something different would happen, even though I knew he was already passed. Um, and then I, it would follow the next couple of days. Cause I, I didn't find out about it until the evening. And, and, um, I just spent some time praying and realizing we got to talk about this the very next day. And once that decision was made, I actually couldn't, I didn't sleep well the whole night, my mind, um, and I, I think even now talking about it, the emotions that are rising up in me, um, you know, it's different when you watch, when you're outside and, and shelter in place and you're watching people jog by. And uh, I had a, a, a moment where I, I was jogging up to Ford Road off of, of Cherry Hill and I was doing a stupid workout where I'm running, stopping, doing push-ups, running, stopping, doing push-ups and squats. And I'm on my face doing push-ups and I hear someone yell at me. And I look over and there's a, there's a cop car in, in the middle of the street mm-hmm. and he's just yelling at me. And I, I just, I just had, and I got up and I kind of was annoyed with him and mm-hmm. rude to him. And then he left and, and we'd laughed afterwards and left. And then I, I was running and I was reminded of that and just how my experience is so significantly different. Mm-hmm. And I remember just feeling just, just, just mm-hmm. this deeper pain about it and how I don't even I don't even understand. And I think that's, as I was watching people jog the last couple of days, I don't understand. And I don't, I'm, um, I'm overwhelmed by that. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by um, what it would be like to, to be uh, a man of color. I I, I can't even, I can't fathom it. And so I'm deeply disturbed and I'm deeply hurt. And, um, and I, and I am feeling for my community and, and uh, I'm looking for how we can continue to move forward in the midst of this while um, lamenting the loss of a life. Thank you, Nathan. Don Earl, what were your feelings, thoughts? Yeah, as I shared on last Thursday, um, initially it was pain, it was anger, it was a sense of being numb because this is recurring. Um, and so there was a, a mixture of feelings all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, wonder as well that how could someone um, devalue life? I mean, and as I shared again on Thursday, to see that video and see how the guy literally walked away as if job well done. Mm-hmm. As Ahmad fell to the ground and um, and, and died, um, yeah. yeah, it was it was hard, but again, it was numbing at the same time because this is not the first, and um, unfortunately, may not be the last. Mm-hmm. Brian, jump on in. Brian Anigan from Life Church Livonia. Yeah, I think um, I had quite a few emotions. First was anger. And uh, what in the world? Not again. Um, 
The next was fear, I think. Um, as a lot of you know, my youngest child is black and we let him run around our neighborhood all the time and ride his bike. And I couldn't, um, couldn't stop picturing his face. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, he's nine. Yeah. He's only nine. And yet some people have already seen him as a threat at times. Yeah. And so, um, so I vacillated back and forth between anger and fear. And, uh, but then I think uh, resolve would be kind of my next feeling. Resolve to, um, a friend of mine shared on his Facebook page the other day that uh, all these people, you know, they're, they're putting run with mod on their Facebook page. And, and he said, if you're gonna run with mod, I would suggest you stretch first because this is not gonna be a short run. Mm-hmm. This is gonna be a really long day after day, week after week, month after month run. And you better stretch first uh, because you're in, you need to be in it for the long haul. And so I think resolve for me to say, this is not uh, something that we just need to, you know, come around for a week or two weeks until the, you know, the press dies. But I was like, no, dang it. We're gonna talk about this. Yeah. Uh, and keep talking about it and keep doing something about it until, until I don't have to be afraid for my son anymore. You know, Brian, it's funny that you brought that up because I saw a picture of your family on Facebook yesterday. Yeah. And I just stopped and I looked at this beautiful picture of your family. And I stopped and looked at your son, who I've seen and uh, witnessed him grow. And I saw that he, his face is filling out, his neck He's getting, he's becoming a big boy. And I feared. Yeah. I actually felt it. I said, wow. And, um, and like you said, when you, when you witness the video, you can see your son's face. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow. Absolutely. A Georgia Hill, Life Church, Riverside. What were your feelings? Uh, Definitely anger was the first thing I felt, anger. And then, um, you know, I'm an attorney. And so I think anger was definitely the feeling I felt because I was really angered that this had happened so long ago and nothing had happened. And as I began to read in the newspaper articles and online about the history of this situation, I got even more angry because there was a complete failure of the system to enforce. Um, Not only that, but there was a system of laws in place that basically made it possible for this to happen. This this sort of toxic mix of stand Mm. your ground and citizens arrest, I mean, coming together in a way which makes it possible for people to feel like they're justified in doing what they're doing. And I tell you, there's a lot of details in this, scenario that have yet to come out. And I think as those details come out, just as I was reading even this morning, I learned more information uh, mm. about what had happened. Um, I think that we're gonna find that the justice system down there, v- that particular city, Brunswick, mm. is very, very um, rife with improprieties in their police department. And they've had a number of lawsuits against the police department yeah. over the past several years. And so, I think I just, I felt really, I felt anger. I felt somewhat kind of an indignation and really a disappointment with the 
law enforcement system. And then I think um, I think several uh, several other pastors have mentioned as well mentioned it as well. But this is definitely a long term mm-hmm. course. This is a long journey. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely feel that we have to really hold our public officials accountable and we have to keep watch over what people are doing. We cannot fall asleep and think that everything's okay. Yeah, good stuff. If you're just tuning in, you're looking at Lunch Break with Alan Tumpkin. We're talking with the pastors of the Life Church Network, Don uh, Earl Johnson, the pastor of Life Church Auburn Hills, Nathan McWhorter, the lead pastor of Life Church Ken, Brian Naniga, the pastor, lead pastor of Life Church Livonia, uh, Georgia Hill, lead pastor of uh, Life Church Riverside, and Daniel Figbuli. I hope I got it better. One of the teaching, teaching pastors at Life Church Ken. And we're really talking about uh, responding to injustice. Um, I'm sure that a lot of you are wanting to chat chime in and, 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 and talk, and I say, go on and talk. Uh, this, is, this is something that uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking for a long time. And as we get into some strategies, I would love for our viewers to just, in the comments, just write down things that, that they think that we as the church could do. And yeah. we can you know, look at those things and, and, and ponder and brainstorm and chew on. So again, in the, in the comments, just write down some things you think that we as the church can do in yeah. order to respond properly to injustice. We want to go to Daniel and find out what you felt, what were your visceral feelings when you saw the video and, um, and heard more about it. Go ahead, Daniel. Yeah, I think um, in, in my first um, uh, reaction before seeing the video uh, was numbness. We've been here before. Um, and so I kind of was tuning myself out because um, in my role here at Life Church, I, I'm sort of uh, the resident um, African American <laughs> in a sense, right? Who gets to talk about these things a lot and sometimes to the detriment of my own emotional health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was numbing myself to it. Um, then I saw the video and my wife walked in with me murmuring, why us, why us, why us? And, um, and, I, and just watching him fall lifeless mm-hmm. and the resolute swagger of the gentleman who shot him. And I'm using gentleman very kindly. And then the other gentleman come in with a, 357 revolver in his hand as if to pump more bullets into him. Um, shocked me. I, I think I went through the stages of grief in like one minute. Um, I, I started off denying it like this. Nah, this isn't real. I'm like you, Nathan. I was like, yeah, it's like, you know, the end of this movie, but you're like, nah, I'm hoping something, maybe there's, what, what is it in, in cartoon where we talk about alternate time warps or whatever. Like, okay, let something else happen. Um, then I started to bargain um, in my head of, well, what if this happened? What if that happened? Mm. Um, then I started to prepare myself for whenever this conversation happens in any context of having to explain to people who are different from me why this is not an isolated incident and why this is a systematic issue. So I started to sort of go into that mindset. Then I started to feel true anger. Um, and anger at the fact that I have to convince people that mm. this is real and, and that, you know, maybe in the eight, maybe in the 1800s, maybe in the early 1900s, 
it was hard to research these things because you know much of history has been whitewashed but you're like a google away from seeing the reality of this mm -hmm. and so the anger was like no you don't want to see this um and then I just, again, kept on saying, why us? And, and as you mentioned in how you butchered my last name, you know, I'm African. Um, and my parents are Nigerian. And so I have an interesting background in the sense that I, I, I identify as an African-American, but I also identified as an African man. And so for me, the systematic um, 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 uh, prejudice and discrimination of Black people and murder of Black people doesn't just stop in America for me. I look at Africa as a whole and, and say to myself, every ailment that's currently happening in Africa, every problem in Africa is because of the introduction of European powers, if you sort of look at it. And so now I'm thinking in my head, why us? Why every country? Why every continent? Why every era of life are we the guinea pig? Are we the, the disposable entity? And so this to me is at the very core of one's identity. And so I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm depressed. I'm, I'm thinking this is an alternate reality. I'm asking myself, what does this look like um, for people to actually enter into this? So I, I, it's a mixture of things, man. And, and I think in the last few days of even hearing some, a few comments of people, um, saying that this is anti-white, um, to have a discussion about this is anti-white, to have a discussion about this is uh, not gospel. Um, and so I'm hearing all those things from so-called Christians. And my wife and I actually had a unique conversation. I shared this with Nathan already. We had a unique conversation that we've never had before. Of, you know, if you keep speaking about this, you could get shot. And I don't know if that's a reality that is helpful for me to live in, but those of us who are pigmented walk a line of brothers and sisters who have sacrificed themselves. And if there's anything that this era has shown me in the last few years is that we're not that far removed for someone standing up and shooting me or you while we're preaching. Mm. We're not that far removed. And so this sits differently for me that if, if we continue to talk about this, we have a long tradition of black, black men and black women being killed, either your identity being assassinated or you physically being assassinated. And so this is not a theory, it's not a philosophy, it's not a treatise, it's not some statement, it is real life for real people. And so for me, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, but I think beyond that, I'm dismayed of how people who specifically speak into Christianity, how people who are Christians can look at this and not see this as a gospel issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. This is, this is stuff. It's interesting because um, yesterday I, well, I, Marcia and I, my wife and I, every single evening we take a walk and we'll walk or jog two, three miles every single evening. And, she, and it was raining yesterday and she says, I'm not going to do it. And I'm like, well, it's not raining now. So uh, it's, it was kind of sprinkling. So I kind of bundled up and I started walking and she kept trying to say, don't, I want you to stay. I want you to stay. And my stubborn self, I said, no, I, I got to get my walk in and mm. get, my, get my work. And so I just pushed through it. And let me tell you, this is the 
very first time that when I started walking with a baseball cap and and hoodie in my neighborhood, that I started wondering. I started looking around. I started feeling some fear. Now that doesn't make me feel good. So we as pastors, we're talking about um, how we're feeling. So if we're feeling a certain way right now as pastors, what are we or how do we communicate to our family, to our congregation? How will we comfort them? Because, you know, we're needing comfort. Right now, just thinking about, but but yet, uh, if we're feeling like this now, then you know there may be a, a a mist here in the pulpit, but there's a big old fog in the congregation. Mm-hmm. So what do we say? I'd love for you to jump in. How do you communicate? Now Nathan said that at the beginning. He said when he did Nathan, you said when you when you saw this, when you heard this, when you read this, you said, I know I got to talk about it. Yeah. So what do you say to your congregation, Nathan? Yeah, I think um, we luckily had a platform the very next day to speak about it. And so I knew immediately if if, um, Pastor Daniel was willing that we would spend a significant amount of time talking about it. And um, people can go back and check that out on the podcast, but I encourage you to watch it live um, because you get to see the, the openness and and that I think where our congregation is right now, um, we'll talk a little bit about what we're doing, be the bridge and some of the other things. There's some people who have been working hard on this for, for months and years, but for those who aren't, um, who haven't, who've heard about it, but haven't dived in, I think Daniel, um, said it best, but my heart as well is it's a plea, please see this as life. Please see the loss of life. Hmm. Please allow this to move you. Please allow this to dig beneath all of the um, justifications or all of the character questions that you have before you allow yourself to see. See it, feel it, dwell there. And allow that um, godly sorrow to drive you to seek questions and answers. Because um, what we're really dealing with, it, it, not for everybody, but for a lot of people in my congregation and, and the people that we're, we're loving in and our direct are, are dealing with a little bit of, of fragility. Um, and things like this are opportunities in community to see people and see the loss of life and let that begin a journey. Um, I, I do feel we've done a lot of work. We have a lot of work left to do. But uh, well, there's many who are still um, not on the journey on that difficult run, right? That run that we need to stretch for. Some of them don't even know they need to. Mm. And um, that's our privilege to not have to care. But it's also our responsibility and our privilege as Christian men and women to walk with our brothers and sisters, to enter in when we don't have to, but Christ says we have to. Christ says we have to walk and bear each other's burdens and we have to fight for justice. So for me, I would say there are many, and even if you're watching right now, cause you're stirred up in your spirit, it's time to begin the journey towards understanding the brokenness and the um, 
systematic racism, even within the church, it's time to walk. Mm -hmm. Good. Don Earl. I want to speak um, to the leaders first and then to congregation. One, I would say um, to, to use your voice uh, for, for the leaders, um, not just our pastors here, uh, because some leaders elect not to say anything. Hmm. And I think it's very unfortunate uh, because people in your congregation is being informed. They're being informed by someone. They're being informed by whatever favorite news, whatever, uh, whatever politician, they're being informed. And then they're sitting in our congregation and we have a responsibility to speak, not what Fox or CNN or whatever your favorite show host is or news circuit, but we have a responsibility to speak what God is saying. Mm. And um, I think I've, I've been places where I, I've seen that um, voice not used in, in leadership. And so I want to make sure that if there's some leaders and pastors speak, use, because again, if you go silent, they're going to be informed by someone in this hour, we need to make sure they're hearing from God. And so mm. I wanted to say that to the leaders for congregation. Um, I think at the same time, what we say before events like this matters more than what we're saying right now. Uh, <laughs> a pro I think a problem with us is that we are reactive instead of proactive. And um, which again, I'm speaking back to the leaders. So I don't want to speak to the leaders, but um, mm. yeah, we're reactive when stuff happens. We're like, oh yeah, let's do it. Uh, we have to make it a priority. Um, and as uh, mm. Daniel mentioned, this is not a part, as long as we look at this as an addendum to the gospel, mm -hmm. then um, mm. we're not going to make it a priority. Um, so again, congregation wise, mm -hmm. I encourage you to, to live into this moment, um, to value life. I, I can echo really what Nathan was saying, to value life. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we have a community a uh, multicultural community where we talk about grace and space. Um, we have to be mm -hmm. able to journey together in there in the context of hopefully friends. We have a, 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 a strategy, if you will, or actually more of a mission. I don't want to sound strategy of three C friendships of being committed. Mm -hmm. um, the first C is committed. The second C is being cross-cultural and the third C is being Christ-centered. And so within that framework, we have critical conversations, hard conversations, and to the point where we're on a journey together. You have to have space and grace where people can ask questions and not be labeled. Uh, people, uh, they, they may not understand from your perspective. And so um, you need space to have these conversations. So when people are asking questions, when you, you can either label them, oh, he's a racist because he said that, or you can enter dialogue. Hmm. You can, you can hear it because we all have various contexts and I, I don't wanna to get too involved, but there is something called transformative learning in uh, andragogy, which is the study of uh, adult learning and uh, Jack Maserol, you can look, research it, but there's a um, uh, transformative learning. Uh, there's a phrase of disorienting dilemmas and all of us have our own context and our context is real to us. And so what happens is we, we view the world, we view each other, review and ourselves through that context. And until we uh, encounter other people, 
um, then we have those disorienting dilemmas where the information that we have in our head um, is now confronted with new information. And in order for us to be transformed, we have to have this critical reflection in order for us to live into a new context that I believe that God is calling us into. And so that's what we try to share and try to live into, to walk patiently, to, to forbear one another, to, to live in that context, uh, uh, again, that multicultural context of learning and, um, and, and have create space and grace where we can have those conversations and not be labeled and processed. So. Yeah, good, good stuff. Brian, what are you saying to your congregation? Yeah, I think... Um... I think one of the keys is to realize that in Livonia is up until the 2010 census was the widest city in America, over a hundred thousand. Livonia is the place where it didn't really, um, no one knew where, where Livonia was until the sixties when all of the white people fled Detroit and this is where they moved. And, um, not proud of that. Um, but what it means for me is that there's a lot of work to be done here. Mm. Um, and uh, I think for me, uh, it's helping my congregation uh, hear the full story. Uh, because for generations, they've been hearing one story and believing mm. one thing. And I, I'm not just talking, you know, years, I'm talking generations. Yeah they've been hearing the same story and, um, and they've, um, they've come to a place where um, they've believed that story. It's become an, uh, enmeshed in the very center of who they are and what they believe about life, and what they be, uh, believe about human dignity and value and worth and what they believe about. Um, they believe that their life is worth more and that they're smarter and more successful and, um, more well-behaved and have a deeper sense of morality. And, and there's a, a sickness and a sin there that comes with the belief in that story that I think, I think, I think part of my job is to help them to see that there's a completely, first of all, that the narrative they've been living uh, around is, is based on a lie. And second of all, to begin to expose them to that narrative. So we do that. And we've done that regularly from the pulpit. Um, I do it, um, uh, I'm not the kind of person that engages in public all out battles on social media, mostly because I haven't seen that that's been helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I am a person that has gone to battle privately. Uh, and, and when I say battle, I, uh, I mean, that sounds really, um, I don't know if that sounds very Christian, but it is battle. And mm -hmm. I think God calls us to, to go to battle on behalf of the, uh, of the people that, that need um, us to stand beside them. And so privately, I've been going to battle for the last 10 years, uh, even before I came here, mm -hmm. and countless conversations with individuals. And so uh, for a season, I was um, hiding friends on Facebook. <laughs> Honestly, I was pausing their posts. I wasn't, I've gone back and um, unhid all those people. The ones that say things that make my blood boil, mm -hmm. the ones that post lies, the ones that um, masquerade uh, their beliefs as Christian when they're really sinful and from the devil mm. and, and engaging that uh, whenever I can privately. And so uh, because I've seen more fruit from that. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, we've done, we've been a part of some of the stuff with Be the Bridge that Nathan, you know, was talking, mentioned earlier. Our people have been a part of that. Um, and we've, we've done our very best to make sure that our congregation isn't, isn't reflective of our community in terms of its demographic. You know, that Livonia might be 97% white, but our congregation definitely is not. And, yeah. uh, and so that's been really intentional. What's powerful with what you're saying, see, you're saying something a little different. So you're saying, I talk to my people and I'm not just encouraging them to be friends or to get to know people. I'm talking to my people and telling them to rid your white supremacy. Mm-hmm. You said, before you, before, you can be, before you can be my friend, I better know that you're dealing with that because mm-hmm. I can't interact with you if you don't understand the white structures of this con- country. So, so this is so this is very powerful because you you gave this this history of Livonia, which you're right. Um, yeah. Georgia and I from the Detroit area, we know we knew not to drive into Livonia. Yeah, it's, but, it is what it is. But none of the Le- people that live in Livonia would. Every time I've told uh, my white Livonia friends that my black friends call Livonia Sundown City because you shouldn't drive through hmm. Livonia after sundown. None of them have ever even heard that term before. I know. I know. Uh, I, when I and then I begin to tell them stories of my friends who are black who've gotten pulled over for no reason in Livonia just for driving. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think part of my job is to bring that narrative to light and um, to challenge those things. And you're, you're, Alan, you're right. I have lost friends over this. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm okay with that. But you've spared your son's life. I hope. Yeah, I hope. But again, I, like, I, like again, you're challenging the sin, the deep, heinous sin and seduction that white America has believed that they are, you, you, you listed it, that they're smarter, that they're more moral, that they are right. I grew up thinking um, right, white is right, black get back. I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm hearing this, but you are challenging it because you're talking about a, a, a city that the characteristic of it or the, the what it's like is racist. So I'm I appreciate I appreciate all of the things you said, but you you, you know you you dug into some stuff that I'm feeling mm. uh, that that as a pastor of a church that's predominantly black, our uh, family of believers at that church. We won't trust you unless you're dealing with your racism. And I know that you are having those discussions. That's why I'm so happy what Nathan is doing with the bridge. So again, we're looking at what you're doing and we're saying, you know, I can tell that they're actually doing something about it. And so, uh, wow, that's good stuff. We're going to wrap up in a little bit, but I want to, again, we still have new people coming on and you're looking at Lunch Break with Alan Tumpkin and I am talking with the pastors of the Life Church Network and that's Nathan McCorder, pastor of, uh, lead pastor of um, 
Yeah, Life Church Canton, Don Earl Johnson, lead pastor of uh, Life Church Auburn Hills, and Daniel, and he is uh, from Nigeria. <laughs> he is a diversity pastor. Say his last name. Daniel Faboy. Okay. Put a glottal stop right on that G. You got to give it a little space right there. And Brian Nanninga, the pastor of. Life Church Livonia and Georgia Hill, the pastor of Life Church Riverside. Um, so you, you've kind of talked about, I want to go to real quick, quickly, I want to um, ask a question to you, Georgia, and then, well, let me do this. I want to go back to the, what we were talking about. Go to, go to Daniel, because Daniel, you are uh, working with diversity there at Canton. Um, it's not as formal, but this is what you do. Uh, what are you saying to your small groups, to your to the congregants that are under your care? So um, I'm leading a small group of people. Um, one of the things that we've tried to figure out is what's the next step after Be the Bridge? Uh, Be the Bridge is helpful. I think it's a good entree, but it doesn't go deep enough. And so I've had to sort of um, look at the next steps. And what we've been doing is I'm taking a small group through color of compromise. Mm. Um, and so what I did was create my own <laughs> questions. Well done, sir. Uh, I'm, here, I'm here to support you, Daniel. <laughs> yes, but I, listen, could... <laughs> I, let me just have a real moment for a second. That That's truer than you think. Because um, so. in 17 years of Life Church Canton, this is the first time that we've had this conversation. And I don't think this conversation gets had without you being passionate about it. So your white privilege without, is being without used. Nathan being passionate. Yeah. About it. So whether you 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 joke, but I, I feel that support uh, more than ever. Um, and so thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, so color of compromise. So I had to create my own discussion questions um, and we're digging in and we are seeing this history of the white church and what it's done. And then we're seeing how that's still happening now. Um, and so that's a really good read and that's helping inform conversations. But in addition to that, I'm also wanting to, so David Swanson is, um, I forget his uh, title, but he's one of these, he's a Caucasian pastor and he speaks deeply about these uh, racial issues. He's one of and, our pastors in the covenant in Chicago. He is actually, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that I've always felt and initially actually tried to do when I first got here was to create a space. He says, white pastors, you need to create a space where black folks can have real talk within themselves mm -hmm. and not need to be there to supervise. Mm -hmm. which if you know the history of the white church, that's always been there. Let's supervise the Negroes as they talk, as they communicate, as they have conversations. Mm -hmm. so, so we'll keep that there. Um, and so I've, I've, tried to, I've tried to create a space now recently uh, through GroupMe where African-Americans can feel the comfort to say exactly how they feel without worrying about being an angry black man or angry black woman mm -hmm. uh, or playing into that stereotype. But I also have created as much as I can a space where sincere Caucasians can ask sincere questions. And I'm very putting much of emphasis on sincere. They can have sincere conversations, uh, not conversations like, hey, what's with this race thing? Mm. Not conversations about, oh man, it looks like life is getting better for African-Americans. Not, not, no, not those superficial conversations. Um, so, so my encouragement is to dig in and press in and, you know, I had an interesting conversation with Garth and I won't get into the details about it, but he's, I love that brother. 
Um, and he Charles McGrath, who's the superintendent of the absolutely. Great Lakes Conference, gotcha. super, super real with me about just how he was feeling um, and to the point of tears. Yeah. And one of the things that I said to him, is, I'm not going to tell you to stop crying. Feel that. Mm. I think as African-Americans, sometimes we feel the need to hurry up and go comfort our white brothers and sisters when they're mourning and when they're lamenting. No, I, I would like for you to sit in that. And so my, my, my sort of encouragement to my Caucasian brothers and sisters when they come up with that is sit in that, feel that, appreciate that. Let's have conversations, but sit in that. And so I think, um, but I think ultimately, so just to capture it all, is I'm pointing folks back to the gospel that this is a real primary, this is the Imago Dei, this is the image of God issue. This is a second commandment, do you love your neighbor issue? This is not some tertiary issue uh, or some issue. And, and, and again, Nathan, we talked about this on Table Talk. This notion that we can't talk about race and politics in the church, where, where we get that, where they do that at? Yeah. How, how, is that, how is that acceptable? If there's anybody that should be talking about race and politics, it's the church because your race has political implications. Right. It has policy implications. It has implications on life on people. And so I think being able to wade in that with people has been super helpful and let people sit and lament and feel the pain of it. But I think more than anything else is to create a space where African-Americans can have a straight conversation and then articulate our language so that we can be able to express ourselves Sure, we, 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 we can express our frustrations, we can express our anger, but in a way that our brothers and sisters don't hear the anger and not the point. And I think that's helpful. And that's helpful to help people put language to those things. But yeah, that, that's, that's the big thing is to, to help people put language to what they're experiencing um, and say, yeah, that's real. That, you should feel that. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. I love that, Daniel. Can I say something about that Go real ahead. quick? Mm-hmm specifically to my white brothers and sisters out there. Um, some of you um, are waking up right now for the first time. Um, mm -hmm. And I wanna encourage you not to immediately run to the only person of color you know and expect them to answer all your questions. <laughs> um, my brothers and sisters have been dealing with this their entire life. Yeah. And um, and Daniel mentioned earlier how the emotional toll it takes. It's painful. So what I would say to my white brothers and sisters who are starting to wake up and starting to wonder, I would say, do your homework first. Do the hard work first. There's, there are countless resources out there. We mentioned Be the Bridge numerous times. If, if you join the Be the Bridge uh, Facebook group, they won't allow you to post or speak there for the first, I think, three months of your time there because they want you to be a learner first. There are uh, entire, there's an entire course of material there that you can go through to, to begin to, to be, see the real history of America and the, and the true reality of racism around us. Do that work first, um, because um, I think when we immediately jump to trying to have our friends of color answer all of our questions, we actually dehumanize them again. Mm. And that's not fair. And so... Um, I hope that's helpful to someone. Yeah, that's very helpful. We Alan, lost Nathan. I hope he comes back. Alan, can yes. I say something? He's going to go do his research. Oh, I, <laughs> he's doing his homework. He's doing his homework. Go ahead. Me, I just want to throw something out there. Um, <clears throat> we're constantly addressing this as a topic, as opposed to the context of relationship. 
And yeah. I think um, there's a there's a disservice when you <clears throat> when you do that um, because we have more stake in the information uh, again instead of each other. Uh, and so the beauty of being together and and addressing this as friends, you really um, get to live it again, live it out. Um, you see it from a different perspective in the context of relationship. Yeah. You know, people yeah. are trying. Um, so that's what I was about to get to. So I have okay. a question. Okay. So you, just, you know, but the, but I will say though. I just didn't want that, to lose that. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. That's our last question. Um, you, you won't have friends if you don't deal with the issues. And so that's why I appreciate what, uh, what Brian was saying, what, what Daniel was saying, I cannot be your friend. And you guys know me. I'm not going to be your friend if I, if, I, if I don't think that you're serious about racial righteousness. I'm talking about friends. Yeah, I, I think friendship is serious to me. Mm -hmm. So, and I agree with you. And we're going to get to that because now we're talking, we are talking strategy, like how to build those friendships and how to maintain them. So yeah, I want to talk to that about that really quickly. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I, I want to ask Georgia Hill a quick question. She is our resident attorney. And uh, we need to talk really quickly about uh, citizen's arrest laws. Because we know about citizen's arrest laws and, and there are a couple of things. Uh, they can supposedly do that if a felony is committed. They can also do it if the felony is not committed. It's weird. It's kind of strange. Um, and police officer asks him, can ask a person for assistance? And then that person can, you know, jump in uh, or he is a merchant or uh, security officer. But what do, what do you think? And I'm sure you've thought through this. Uh, what do you think about citizens arrests and how that could exasperate? It is exasperating the issue of, of, injust of, of justice. So the history of citizens arrest is that it comes about historically out of England in a specific context where you have large tracts of land where there are no arresting officials mm. because there's no arresting officials. If there's a crime being committed, then the citizenry is empowered to stop and arrest. Mm. In the United States, uh, this thing takes the form of vigilanteism in communities that are racially charged. Mm. Today, when there are lots of police in many communities, and unfortunately, I have to say that the McMichael father and son team had uh, acute awareness of presence of law enforcement because the elder was a previous police officer and also had been an investigator for the prosecutor's office. So they know where the police are. So this is not a situation where a citizen's, a citizen's arrest was necessary. You have to be a, normally you have to be someone who has seen the commission of a crime. And you're, you're, there's no use, there's no justification for use of force. And so in most cases in the United States, you don't really need a citizen's arrest. Now, you might be able to find the person, find their home address, get their name, number, things like that, and provide that to the authorities, which is what should have happened in this case. But it turns out that the elder McMichael knew. See, this is the thing. He actually knew Ahmad Arbery. Oh. So, right. 
So this is what I want to say. And I want to say thank you to Brian, because here's what needs to happen. People need to find, people need to, to get the facts. People need to get the facts. What you need to do, everybody, you need to get the facts. You need to get the facts of today, what's going on, and you need to get the facts of history. Because if you get the facts of today and the facts of history, you will discover what's really going on. Mm -hmm. As long as people are able to reside in this um, Alice in Wonderland world um, that bases its news on um, outlets that are just giving you one slant, we're mm -hmm. always going to be in this situation. But if you will just find out what's going on, yeah. then, then, then you really can't um, turn a blind eye. Right. And, and, and so I like to think of the truth as the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think that's who the truth is. But sometimes you need to get some facts. You need to get some factual information. So in my opinion, in this situation, a citizen's arrest was not necessary. It turns out that Ahmad Arbery did have contact with the criminal justice system previously carrying a handgun into a sporting event. And the elder McMichael was working for the prosecutor's office at the time was in as an investigator. Was so there, I'm sorry. Was that in a high school or something? In a high school. Like he carried into a, a high school sporting event. Excuse me. Thank you. High school sporting event. So, so there are, there are a lot of facts behind this that make this look even worse than it already does. So I encourage people get, Get the information. Don't just rely on what you hear. Don't just yeah. rely on that. Get the information. And then I think it's really good. I'm not familiar with the Be the Bridge program, but as Brian was detailing it, if it talks about getting the history, get, read some history. Read some history and then read some facts. Look at hard, cold, hard facts. Look at um, poverty rates. Look at housing. Look at economics. Look at health care. Look Very at good. COVID-19, do a comparison between black people and white people. And, and you don't have to um, be a super scientist, but just look at some of the information, inform yourselves. And then I think the next thing people have to do, which Alan did not ask me, but Go ahead. scripture says, it. there's a scripture that I like in, in um, I think it's 2 Corinthians 13, it says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Black people, white people, Asian people, Hispanic people, I don't care who you are, people, we have to examine ourselves. And if we're mm -hmm. going to call ourselves Christian, we have to figure out, are we actually loving our neighbor? Because Jesus made it abundantly clear that our neighbor is everyone, particularly the people that don't come from our same ethnic group. So, you know, that Good Samaritan story is not... Um, some, um, you know, fable. <laughs> the Good Samaritan story is about a person who was the hated, who gave love and comfort to the hater. Mm. See, that's the thing about that story. The Samaritan, they were the ones that the Jews did not like. Mm. And the guy who was on the road probably was a Jew. And so the Samaritan goes over and helps the Ku Klux Klan member on the side of the road. So the only way you can do that, you have to examine yourself and you have to say, am I going to be a Christian today or am I going to be a Klan member? I'm going to be a Christian today or am I going to be a I hate all white people? Am I going to be a Christian today? What, what, what am I going to do? You know, what role am I going to play? And I think that if people will honestly look at love your neighbor, love God, love neighbor, love self, you have to understand that there was no justification for what those two men did on that road none mm -hmm. zero yeah. and then they lied and you know why they lied 
And why they did it? Because they knew they could get away with it until their friend, whose I think last name is Brian, their friend publicized the video. And thank you for publicizing yeah. that video. That was their, he knew those guys. He knew the McMichaels, the guy who took the video and he publicized it. And thank God for somebody who says, you know what, let's just let the, Let's just let the facts tell the tale. Well, he said that it was an, it was going to exonerate the McMichaels, so he yeah. thought that it was. Actually, so I really appreciate that. That very good stuff. We gotta we gotta wrap it up. I want to I want all of you to jump in because we as a Life Church Network, I think that we need to become a model of mm. justice mm. together. And so, what can we do? And now we're talking strategies and some of the things that, that Don Earl was talking about. What could we do uh, so that we can be a model of justice so that, now this is, the, this is the deal, so that the world will know that we are followers of Jesus and we have an opportunity with the numbers that we have as, as, a, as a network to show the state that Jesus rose from the dead. So the question is, what can we do as a network in, in order to respond properly to injustice, in order to uh, make sure that our people are walking alongside us, um, embracing yeah. racial righteousness? Jump on in. This, uh, I think, um, for one, a choir is always louder than a soloist. And this is a beautiful beginning to acquire what you see on your screen right now. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to stop talking in a moment because I think that it highlights my next point that um, as a white man, I want to use leverage every bit of my privilege and position that I can. But I also uh, want to sit at the feet of my brothers and sisters of color and allow them to teach me. And I want to model that. Um, and so, and to lead me. And so I think this is part of it, being a part of the choir, but not as a white person, always feeling like you have to be the choir director. Wow, that's good. Don Earl. I would say uh, one, uh, as I mentioned before, is make this a priority. This is not an addendum to the gospel. This is a part of the gospel. You can read that in Ephesians 2. Um, that would be number one. And also create space, create space for friends, as uh, as um, Georgia was mentioning, as far as gathering the facts, and I agree with that. Definitely make sure you gather facts and all that, but even lean into while you're gathering facts, hook up with a friend, create space where friendships can be created, because those facts, as the young people will say, hit different when it's something, someone you care about, mm -hmm. um, not just the issue, but when it's someone you care about. And then again, create that uh, grace and uh, space. Uh, one thing, and I'll share this and, and be done in our small groups, what we've uh, created, uh, mo most of all our groups are uh, multicultural and also uh, multi-generational groups that we have. And uh, Brendan Dry, our uh, associate pastor brought this, um, but we do an, um, a cultural autobiography where there's a list of questions about your background. Again, yeah. uh, when it relates to context, understanding people, context, why people do what they do, um, we were able to sit and share, uh, and we're still in the process of sharing um, cultural autobiographies where people are hearing the, their, their stories um, and sharing um, their stories of, of, of their, how they were raised and what things mean to them and how it's different. And so again, 
we create space, create space for relationships to, to be built. And, and again, biggest thing is, is make it a priority. Let's not be um, reactive, but proactive. Yeah, yeah. that's so good, good stuff. Thank you. Uh, Nathan. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll talk and, about and, 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 and Let me ask you this. Can we kind of focus it to how we can do this together? Yeah, I can so do go that. Ahead, Nathan. Yeah, I think com uh, conversation's huge. And I think action will be important. Proximity, proximity, proximity. And um, whether that's specific kinds of outreach or um, what we can do together as a team um, will allow the majority of my congregation, uh, not just the leaders, but of course the leaders, but our congregation to walk next to some people and get their hands dirty together uh, on a common goal. And I think when those relationships continue to grow, like you said, when you have a relationship and you get to know people and you see them, man, you have to enter in or, or like we've said so much, it's not possible to be friends. So I think um, one of the strategies I'd love to see is how we can partner together with our unique gifts um, to make an impact in whatever way that looks like in, in um, our, our, our cities, our, in Detroit, whatever that looks like. And again, adopting Brian's attitude towards it of sitting at the feet and learning and listening. And I always want to be at the table and give my um, influence, and, but I don't be leading the table. Yeah. I, I, I want to I learn and I want to give what yeah. I can. Yeah. Well, good, good, good. Um, Brian. Did you talk already or no, I think it was Dan. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I talked, I talked already about the that's choir right. and just that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah Brian and I look alike. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we yeah. both have last names that are hard to pronounce. So it's the beard. It's the beard. It's the you know beard. what it is? Daniel. <laughs> it's the forehead. It's the forehead is what it is. Oh, oh, forehead. It's actually a, a lot of forehead. The five head, brother. You, 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 you have, Brian, you have part of a forehead that we that I kind of wish I had because you still have some of that here. So I want yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh Daniel. <laughs> so uh Don Arrow mentioned earlier about uh leaders using their voice, but if I can tweak that, brother, I would say use your informed voice. Uh, because I have learned um, that some department mm. leaders and churches actually don't know anything about racial issues and may not even feel that way. Mm. So I think lead pastors equipping your department, and I think even making it mandatory that they go through something like Be the Bridge and Color of Compromise, make it mm. a mandatory issue. Yeah. Uh, I'm passionate about mental health. I'm passionate about race. I'm passionate about all those things, but those things are part of the holistic ministry that we've been given. So I would say making it mandatory. Don't assume your leaders know the right thing to say because they might actually be doing more damage to the congregation by reinforcing some of those stereotypes. Um, so that there's that piece. I think, man, one of the things I love is expository preaching. I love going through books of the Bible. And the reason, one of the reasons I love going through books of the Bible is that eventually you will run across racial issues. You will run across unity issues. We're currently going through Ephesians. And as God would have it in the next two weeks, guess what we're yeah. talking about? Christ who breaks down the divide and wall. And yeah. you, who's preached it? Uh, somebody's going to preach it. I'm not going to give no names. Somebody's going to preach it. Somebody's going to preach it. Um, so, so, but so there's that piece. Um, and so the equipment of people. And I, and I think, um, I think um, I, with, with uh, brothers and sisters who are Caucasian, um, it, this is this is unique. So take this with a grain of salt. I'm not actually going to go find a Negro somewhere and be like, hey, will you be my Negro? Um, oh, but be intentional 
to have a friend, not someone that is in a subordinate role to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might not be willing to speak. Nathan and I don't have that issue, <laughs> brother, because we, we have real talk. So mm-hmm. ours is unique. But perhaps someone who is in a lateral position, or maybe if it is someone subordinate, that you know that they got enough uh, strength in the Lord to be able to speak to you candidly, um, have that conversation to be candid, that they can call you out on the carpet on your mess. Uh, and even maybe God will and vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, amen. So I think that would be it. And I think then I think from a more practical perspective, I think all the pastors here and the churches that we lead need to figure out some kind of way for our people to start to get to know each other. Yes. Uh, in a way that I think is very intentional um, and having us experience each other, because here's the thing. And I'll shut up when I say this is I'm tired of churches wanting to be multicultural and multi-ethnic. I want them to be intercultural and inter-ethnic. That's a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. Because in order for you to be multi-ethnic, you just have to have a couple of people that are from a different ethnicity in your church, essentially. And some people will go further and say, well, as long as the dominant race is not more than 80%. All that lets me know that you're still in your silos. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be great for you to become a church with multiple ethnicities and then become a new culture on your own where mm-hmm. everyone's ethnicity is being expressed and enjoyed in the beauty of God and the gospel. So I think that's the goal. That's the hope to see is that a church where, you know, we just don't have a token black person, a token Chinese person. We don't have, but we have leadership that resembles that, not just leadership by name and tokenism, but true leadership that resembles that and giving them the platform to be able to not just uh, be at the table because, you know, as, as, and I told you this before, Alan, one of my uh, brothers uh, said, sometimes when black people are invited to the table, we have to ask the question. Am I on the menu or am I asked to take a seat? And sometimes, and more than often, we're on the menu. We're consumed and spit out when we're done and when our use is done. But to be able to invite Black folks to the table and have them have a seat and even be willing to withdraw yourself from the seat um, is going to be very impactful in in moving this ahead. The intercultural, you're talking about, is is also interdependent. And yes. so that we are we are dependent upon each other. Yes. There has to be a real interdependence. Finally, Georgia Hill, uh, what, how are you going to encourage your people to be a part of this whole movement of uh, responding properly to injustice? Well, I think for people in the African American community, it's a little slightly different emphasis. So when we started talking uh, at Bible study on Thursday, when we started talking about this case, we talked about the fact that we know that God comes to bring justice. Uh, but often what we're really asking for is not justice. We're really asking for revenge and retribution. Mm. And so I think what black people have to do is we've got to search our own hearts um, and not just seek, you know, blood for blood and eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. We have to go beyond that. Mm. And so we actually prayed, um, believe it or not, a prayer of forgiveness. Uh, We talked about that for those two men. Um, and just that God would bring justice, that we're not looking for revenge, we're not looking for retribution, we're not looking um, for something that's going to destroy uh, some other families, but we're looking for some justice. And so I think that Black people have to be very also self-reflective, Absolutely. and we have to examine our own views. What do we really think about white people? Like, do we have these, you know, gross generalizations about yeah. them? And do we have, um, have we extended ourselves to have uh, we we always, you know, most time in workplaces, school, whatever, we know a lot of white people just because of the numbers. But we have to also have friends 
real friends where you care about one another's lives and you invite them over to the barbecue. You got you you got to be able to hang out. Yeah, you, you know that's that's the thing. You know, I I we got to be concerned about each other's families and children and where we live and you know to be neighbors. Well, when, when Dylan when Dylan Roof shot up those those church members in Charleston, mm -hmm. I did a sermon that very next day, and I remember I talked about what you said, Georgia, and I was getting to the whole idea of forgiveness and I had a slide of his picture that popped up right when I had said forgiveness pow and there was a gasp of looking at Dylan Roof the guy who killed countless black folk and though that they, and there and I saw I got got a lot of comments I know that that's true but I don't know if I could and then we are encouraging people to take communion while we still have these bad feelings yeah Hey, so, Alan, to, yes. that, to that point, and I'm done. Um, I shared this on Thursday. Be angry. Scripture says that. <laughs> but the, it also says to sin not. And so uh, my sister commented on there and she said, but, you know, she's angry, upset. I'm like, take those raw emotions for those that are angry. Take those raw emotions and give them to God. Bring them to God and ask God, hey, what can you do with this? I mean, be real with them. And, and, and allow him to create and make something beautiful because that anger can be a catalyst of change. You can use it for destruction or construction. And so when you bring it to God, I believe, um, again, he, he can give you insight to use that anger to do something beautiful. Well, you're exactly right. And as Daniel talked about exp expositional preaching, um, theology, good theology is, is very important right now. That is... All of us, every one of us, we are sinful. Not just one group of people, but we all are in need of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. So when we're talking about all types to all types of people, and I'm talking about people at the live church, look, you're not, you're, you're sinful, they're sinful, we all are a mess. And so we all need to be crying out and lament together. So that may be the next step, maybe us coming together in a service and lament together. Uh, yeah. Amen. We'll talking about that. That would That'd be wonderful. That would be really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think one of the uh, gifts, one of the gifts of, uh, of this stay at home order is that we've had to learn how to do life digitally. Yeah. And it enables us to do small groups, even in Bible studies. If we did it this way, it broadens our ability to inc incorporate additional peoples into it. And so it might be worth looking at that. You know, how can we use digital means to bring people together who live an hour and 10 minutes apart, Absolutely. but could be together digitally like this. I think okay, that'd, be worth, that'd be worth talking about. Let's, let's schedule a meeting guys. Let's get yeah. to guys, guys and gals, all of us. And let's talk about how we can do something like that. We're all talking together. And beyond that, wouldn't a good picnic be good? Yeah. Isn't that a good idea? Yeah. Get us all together eating some food. And I'll bring my yeah. potato salad with some seasonings in it. And so you can. <laughs> we, we could all have bring our stereotypical food. Some water. Who gets to bring the mac and cheese? That's the question. We whatever we want. I'll bring deer jerky. How about that? <laughs> uh... Hey, guys. Thank you very much for joining us on Let's Break with Alan Tumka. I tell you, I am so grateful for your input and um, for the, our, our first step.
Thank you, Alan. Thank you for doing this. Yes, thank you for your leadership, Alan. Thank you, Alan, for the invitation. Yeah, I love you guys. We're we're encouraging our people who are watching to write down their ideas of how we can, as a church, uh, respond properly to injustice. We are going to look at those and and consider them for sure. And share this with your friends. Yes, everyone. Share this. That's right. Yeah. God bless all of you. And uh, our, those who are watching, you're again looking at lunch break tomorrow. I'll be back continuing the series on checkups in the book of Revelation. And we're looking at chapter two. We're looking at the third church, beginning chapter three, actually, I believe it is. So the church, the church of Asia Minor, one of the seven. So that's at 12:15 lunch break with me. And I'll see you then. So again, thanks guys for coming. And uh, we hope to get together and talk again real soon. Lord bless you. Love you guys. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Much love, y'all.